Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Momentum. Momentum, that's our sermon series this season of Easter. And remember, momentum is strength or force gained by motion or by a series of events. And that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at a series of events in the book of Acts that truly are part of and contributing to the momentum of the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. We've gone from uh, witnessing the healing of the paralyzed man, which led to the proclamation of the gospel in Acts chapter 3. Then in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John unschooled ordinary men preaching, and 5,000 men coming to faith, probably 20,000 people altogether. Then they are arrested for doing that. We jumped forward to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Philip, witnessing to the Samaritans, he's called to that desert road to witness to the Ethiopian eunuch who receives the gift of baptism on that desert road. To last week, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Roman army officer, a Gentile, a representative of an occupying country and force, receives the gospel of Jesus. Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans coming together around the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gift of baptism. We see in these momentum-building events the gospel is going out to all nations, to all peoples, and the Spirit is using all types of circumstances and all types of people to do this great work. It's been kind of like a, a movie each week coming out, a sequel, a sequel, a sequel, in this sermon series, which got me thinking, remember when Star Wars came out like decades ago? I'm talking the, you know, the real Star Wars, right? It came out decades ago, and it built upon story, upon story, upon story. But then years later, decades later, the prequels came out, right? The stories before the stories, because the one we saw originally, it was four, five, and six, and then later came out one, two, and three. Well, that's kind of what's happening here today. This week and next week, that's what we're doing. We're not going to the next momentum-building event in the book of Acts after Acts chapter 10. We're going back in the story. Of course, we know that the pinnacle event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the spark that got the fire going, the momentum-building. But there were, some, there were some other initial events that really got the church moving. The ascension of Jesus... And Pentecost. Pentecost will get there next week, but we're looking at this week and next week the prequels to the events that we have been looking at in our sermon series so far. And so today we're going back to Acts chapter 1, the prequel to all the awesome events we've been looking at and witnessing this season of Easter. And we get to see a little more about these igniting events. The igniting events behind the rapid expansion of the early church, the spread of Christianity to all peoples, all nations. Now, the disciples ask a very interesting question in our text today. And it sort of got me thinking about where we live here, where our church is here in Old Town Orange. Even about this wonderful sanctuary, our church building, that we are gathered in here today. We live in an area where buildings are being restored all the time, right? And when you restore something, you change it to be like it was before, to an earlier good state or condition. 
Now, when you restore something like this sanctuary, you just don't go out and hire a bunch of contractors, right? You hire an architect, right? You hire an architect who comes in and researches the original design and intent of the building. And then makes plans and drawings. But even more returns to the intent of the building. The intent of the edifice. The reason why it was created. And why certain choices were made. And then a vision and a plan is set forth to restore it. But in some areas to make it even better, right? Without losing the initial vision. I mean, I think we'd all agree it was important to redo the wiring in this building, right? Perhaps the audio-visual, maybe the air conditioning, can I get an amen, right? But our architect had to go back and consider the origins of this edifice in order to restore it. And some things were brought back that were gone, like the stained glass window, right? like the color of the wood around the altar here, actually removing the communion rails, they weren't originally there. But some things were approved upon so that the original intent could be achieved. That original intent was that all people could hear the gospel preached. So technology, audiovisual, cameras, the pulpit location, the stage area here being brought out so we could preach in different ways. Modification occurred. Not completely original, but completely in line with the original intent for the people to hear God's word, to worship Jesus, so that all peoples could come to faith and be built up in their faith right here. We know about restoration here in Old Town and here at St. John's. Now, what does that have to do with our ascension text for today? Well, as we read in Acts chapter 1 just a moment ago, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples and he appeared to many others after he rose from the grave. 40 days after Easter was this past Thursday and that's why we consider the ascension of Jesus today. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The reign of God. The active presence of God in the world among us. Now, on one of those 40 days, he said to his disciples to wait for the gift the Father had promised the Holy Spirit. That's Pentecost. That's next week. That's the sequel to this prequel, all right? But as he was talking about all that, his teaching about the kingdom of God was in the forefront of the minds of the disciples. And so, verse 6, the disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Apparently, the disciples were into restoration projects also. They wanted to get the kingdom of God back in order. They wanted to get it up and running again. They wanted to get it restored to pristine condition, maybe some new technologies and adjustments. But they were like, Jesus, let's get this project going. Let's bring in the crew and the contractors and get working on restoring the kingdom. Get it back to like it was in the good old days. 
Let's get this kingdom restored to its original beauty, restored to its original grandeur, restored to its original influence and presence in the world. But you might stop and wonder, what architectural plans and blueprints were the disciples looking at? What did restoring the kingdom to its original condition mean to the disciples? Well, since we've already been through some of the later stories in the book of Acts, you know that the disciples didn't always completely get it. They weren't looking at the right blueprints. They weren't trained and skilled architects. They had this sort of certain idea of what restoring the kingdom looked like, but did it match up with the original blueprints, the original intent and design, the vision of the very first architect. You see, most likely they were thinking back to nostalgic memories of nationalistic identity, maybe even back when Israel was living large in the land in those King David days a thousand years ago when they were at the top of their game. But as one scholar said, their question about restoring the kingdom most likely reflects a nationalistic concern for Israel's vindication. You see, the apostles were still thinking in worldly terms. They wanted the restoration of Israel's national independence. And in the Gospels, you may remember that they were captivated by the idea that in a kingdom that was restored like that, they themselves would have positions of power and authority. Remember James and John? Teacher, rabbi, they said, Let's, let one of us sit on your left and one of us on your right when you come into your glory and power. That's what restoring the kingdom looked like to them. But you see, they were looking at the wrong blueprints, right? They weren't even architects. They were maybe contractors trying to be architects, and maybe really they were more like just consumers. They just wanted the product delivered and restored to them the way they wanted it. They wanted a nice, new, shiny, maybe some new technology, newly restored kingdom for them to enjoy. And so Jesus responds in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. You see, Jesus doesn't directly say no to their restoration question. But he invites them to perhaps consider that they aren't the architects of the kingdom of God. They are not the ones designing God's work in the world. That's the job of the Heavenly Father. And to be honest, I'd rather have the Heavenly Father be the architect of the kingdom of God than a human, right? In Jesus' response... He is turning the disciples away from their ideas of how the restoration project should be going. He's inviting them to go beyond the expectations of an imminent political theocracy with themselves as the chief executives. In fact, he invites them to a power that's far greater than political power. That political power has been the object of their ambition. But he invites them to a new ambition and a power that is far greater and far nobler. Verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's Pentecost. That's next week. 
And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And there it is to the ends of the earth. He didn't say, you're going to be my president and vice president and chief of staff and Supreme Court justice and commander of the armies. And you're going to sit at my left and my right in power. He didn't say any of that. He said, you will be my witnesses. It's as if Jesus is saying, that's the blueprint, that's the architectural design that I'm laying before you. You will be my witnesses. And where and to whom shall you witness Jerusalem and Judea? Yeah, that's kind of easy. We can do that. That's close to home. But restoring the kingdom is far greater. Our kingdom restoration project involves being and building an edifice, a kingdom that resides even in Samaria with those half-breeds and even to the ends of the earth with those Gentiles, even like that Roman centurion Cornelius. But guess what? This isn't anything new. This is going back to the original architect. This is going back to the original vision. This is going back to the original design of the building of the kingdom of God. This is restoring the kingdom to its original design. Not going back to the apostles' perceptions maybe of King David or some other era of greatness. But this is going back to the great architect God himself. Going back to Genesis. Going back to the call of Abraham. In fact, check out this design, this blueprint that the Lord laid before us in Genesis to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. He said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And here it is. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the active reign of God. That's the kingdom of God, blessing all peoples on earth through his people that he has called. St. Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 3, talks about this very blueprint and this design. He says, those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's the nations, by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. The disciples asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, the answer, Jesus says, is no. But also Yes, kind of. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not restoring the kingdom of God for you in the way you want it, the way you've designed it, the way you think it should be restored. But rather, it's as if Jesus is saying, I am restoring the kingdom of God, restoring it back to its original blueprints, the original design. Jesus is the architect on the restoration project, and he's going back to the original blueprints established by the Father with Abraham in Genesis in the beginning. When the kingdom of God was to be built not merely for Israel, but through Israel. Jesus is saying, I'm going to restore the kingdom of God. Yes, but I'm going to do it through you. Through you, my disciples. 
through you, the new Israel, through you, the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. I am restoring the kingdom through you, the way I've designed it, the way the Father designed it. Jesus is saying, let me and the Father design the kingdom. Our design is far greater than yours. Our blueprint will call for the building a kingdom far greater than you could ever imagine. But Jesus says, I need you to help me build. Here are the plans. Here are the specs. Here are the drawings. Here is the vision. But I need some contractors and skilled craftsmen. And I need some hard workers to restore this kingdom. It is the epic restoration project of all humanity. Well, how's it going to work? Well, I'm going to send you some help. The Spirit, the Father promised, that's Pentecost, that's next week. But I'm also going to be with you here in a different kind of way. But here's the work I have for you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here's how we're going to restore this kingdom. And so in verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud. A cloud hid him from their sight. That's the ascension, right? Now, sometimes we think of the ascension, we think that Jesus was shot up in the sky like a rocket, and we'll never see him coming back again until he, the, the gravitational pull pulls him back down or something. But he probably didn't actually go that far up. It says a cloud hid him, a cloud received him. Now, what's up with that cloud? It hid him in one sense, but it actually revealed him in a greater sense. You remember back in the Old Testament, remember the presence of God? The presence of God was in the cloud that guided Israel. The cloud is a guarantee of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Dr. Bambaro says this, he says, At the ascension, a cloud is used to mark Jesus' entry to the realm of God. Jesus did not travel thousands of miles like a space rocket. He rose a little way above the earth, and a cloud received him out of their sight. All that was gone was the sight of Jesus. But the cloud means that he is no longer within our ordinary limits. So make no mistake about it, Jesus is everywhere present. The ascension, along with Pentecost, signals a shift for how God in Christ is continually present with his people and the Holy Spirit is illuminating this reality through the gift of faith. And so we hear and we see from the presence of this cloud that our great architect is with us. And he's designed a new way of restoring the kingdom. And he will be always with us to guide us, to encourage us, to shape us, to inform us when the blueprints don't make any sense. But my friends, make no mistake about it. He has called you and me to restore the kingdom. To be his witnesses. So let's not just stand there looking up in the sky wondering where Jesus went. He is with us. But he is with us in a new way. And let's not just sit there staring at the blueprints forever on this kingdom restoration project. Let's get out there and restore this kingdom. One witness at a time. Just imagine the day when the restoration is complete. And we see the job finish. When we see the kingdom restored.
a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Amen?